You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Each year, Jazz at Lincoln Center and its artistic director, Wynton Marsalis, hosts the Essentially Ellington Festival, a competition of high school jazz bands from across the country. In his new documentary, Chops, our guest today, Bruce Broder, focuses on one Florida band's experience at the festival. Chops will screen at the International Documentary Association's DocuWeek in Los Angeles from August 17th through 23rd. Bruce Broder, welcome to film school. Thank you so much. How is it in Florida today? What What's the weather like? Well, in this part of Florida, it's hot and muggy. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. Don't yes. leave your instrument outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess not. Do you ever have any problems like that with instruments and humidity? Is, does it ever affect the uh, the reeds or anything? Absolutely. Tell us about how you started this film, Chops. This is uh, an amazing story to me, the progression from what you started with to where you ended up. So, so give us a start here. Well, first of all, thanks so much. I got interested in it because my son, who was then about 12 years old and in middle school, started attending a jazz band camp. I took him one day and stayed, and the whole experience of the transmission of the ideas of jazz and ideas of how to play and particularly improvise, as it was conveyed by, in particular, an amazing, one amazing middle school music teacher to these 12- and 13-year-old kids, was just completely fascinating. Yeah. Was that who we saw at the beginning of the film? The woman that... Yes, that, yeah. that's the teacher, uh, Carol McQueen. She was amazing. I, I love the way she was instructing him to take things down by half, but keep the intensity. And then that whole way that she related to what a kid's experience was like when she was saying, you know, how if your mom was to yell at you in yeah. a supermarket, it wouldn't be <laughs> a real yell. It would be under her voice. Yeah. That's how you need to play. Now, your son was 14 at the time then, and you were just starting off to make this about him at that point in time. How much footage did you shoot before things started to change on you? Let me just correct a couple of uh, those notions there. Okay. When I first saw him in this class, he was only 12, wow. and then, you know, I was it percolated for a while before I actually started shooting. And the first footage, you're right, he was 14 when I, when I first started shooting the, the first footage that actually went into the movie. It was he and his middle school combo that was the band I was following at the beginning of, of right. the filming. Do you have a background in music? Yes, I play a couple of instruments not very well. If, I, if my son were to hear me say that, he would probably <laughs> correct me and say that I don't actually play them. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, I thought he'd come to your defense. What so. instruments do you play? I once played the piano, drums, and now guitar. So he moves on then to uh, Douglas Anderson School of Arts Correct. in Florida. I'm sure that that uh, invigorated his whole uh, approach to music. Did you notice yes. a change in him when he was accepted? That's a big moment for all of those kids who are interested in jazz in middle school to make it into the magnet school of the arts. Because mm -hmm. in, in this part of Florida, that's where all the best aspiring players 
wind up going. The sequence in the film, the audition. Right. Which you, you obviously had access. To, was there any issues about you having access to watching these kids as they do their, their audition when you're filming, filming? Oh, it took some convincing because there was, you know, the question of whether a camera in the audition room would, would uh, upset some of the kids. And, you know, we finally arrived at the point of view that if it was there and we weren't moving around that, you know, we'd eventually be invisible. Mm -hmm. Did that ever work out that way? Did you feel invisible, or did you almost feel that that maybe they were uh, experiencing the uh, sense that you were looking over their shoulder? Well, you know, it's funny that in the situations of highest stress, like an audition, yeah. um, you tend to be more invisible, because the participants are much more focused on the business that they have at hand. And if they're nervous, they're nervous about not my presence and the camera's presence, they're nervous about the teacher's presence. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting. You never, in, in any of the audition footage, see somebody looking over at the camera. Mm -hmm. They're just unaware that it's there. Mm -hmm. So Owen goes through this audition pro process, and at this point you're still thinking that this is more or less, this is your own little... I mean, I say home movie, but it's certainly a more of a project that a vanity project, vanity sorts, project yeah. for yourself. In truth, when I started, I was following. I got into it because of of Owen, but I quickly started following the combo that he was in from middle school. My original intent uh, here was to chronicle what happened to these kids who, in their middle school ages, were completely consumed by the music and you know love of jazz. What happens to them when they start facing the much more competitive atmosphere of high school, uh, mm -hmm. uh, com competitive and with other kinds of demands on them? Yeah. So I was following this group of seven kids. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Bruce uh, Broder, and his film is called Chops. It'll be a part of the IDA's, International Documentary Association's DocuWeek program, which will be starting on August 17th in Los Angeles, and you can check that out at documentary.org. You know, there's one character in the film. You were, you were following these, uh, the students, the high school students originally, but the one person that fascinated me that seemed to progress a lot during the film was Ace Martin, who's the director of the yeah. Douglas Anderson School of Arts. Really, at first, you know, he, he seemed as far as what I had seen so far within the jazz instructors, a, a little bit within himself. And, and by the time the film was over, I think there was a tremendous transformation on his part. Did you, did you sense that, too? Or is... Yeah, I feel that he is such a key character because what happens to him, his transformation over the course of the film and over the course of this endeavor that he and the kids are on, he changes so greatly. It's, it's really an amazing thing for me every time I see it. Yeah. Um, he was the teacher at the beginning, but he he learned from the kids at the end. He accepted them as his teachers yeah. in many, way, many yeah. ways by the end. Yeah, that was a great scene, their performance there, where he just hands it over to the kids. That's the ultimate for both of them. For a teacher to yeah. turn his students over, you know, to their own fate is an amazing moment for any teacher, and for the students themselves to be able to proceed on their own, you know, to be totally empowered that way. That was really something significant for all of them. I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit because we, we got them into the middle school. They were into high school. 
As no you said, spoilers, there's a Mike. lot more competition involved. I'll be careful. A lot more competition involved within the school. And I understand that when you were initially, as you were doing the film, you were focusing on on a woman, uh, a girl, woman that was that was in the band and felt like her story was really going to become a, an, a, an interesting and an integral part of this. Right. Um, but as things progress, things change. Well, as I say, originally I started following these seven kids who were in this middle school combo, following what happened to them in high school. Some of them made it into the top jazz band in, in the high school, and some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, a really great bass-playing female mm-hmm. who was part of that original group. Did she have and, blonde hair, kind of short, cropped yeah, blonde hair? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I remember seeing her. Yeah. yeah, great on camera. She ran into a lot of problems in high school. You know, that's what, that's what happens. But besides that, she did not make it into the top jazz band, maybe because of some of the other problems. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, I had to make a decision about who to follow and who not to follow, and uh, I, I had to let that that subplot go. At what point did you begin to to pull in a crew? I mean, was this you doing the camera work, and were you doing sound? And no, or? no, I had at least a camera person. The, uh, the entire way. I mean, it's true, I shot some of it, but not very much. But once we got to the point at which they made it yeah. into the Ellington competition, then I was able to take the footage that I, that I had shot and uh, interest some other people, most notably Tim Crimmon, who's the yeah. executive producer at Wintercom, and uh, they, they were very interested in joining, you know, being part of the project, affiliating with it. Because of their partnership, I got more resources with which to yeah. with which to cover and. Well, I'm sure once that they knew that they these kids were heading into a much higher level of competition, I'm sure that that they were they were able to kick that up another notch in terms of their commitment. And well, I was going to ask that too. I, obviously, because they're going to essentially Ellington, that's a a selling point to a film. But did Tim? Kremen also respond to some of the characters that you were starting to create there. There's there's one fellow, and I'm not sure the drummer is that was that the drummer is Jameson. Jameson, okay, Jameson Ross. I got right. you. Yeah, I mean he's an incredible character oh, in yeah. this film. He just really he just brings a good feeling of jazz from the very beginning of the film. There's a lot of changes in this band, but he he seems to sense the swing of it all. Yeah, he's he's really the leader. All the kids looked up to him, and in many ways, you know, we talked a minute ago about the teacher turning it over to the band. It's largely because of Jameson. Hmm. He he had such well. a sense of the music himself. All the other band members listened to him to such a degree, respected his opinion to such a degree that he he's really a, a principal reason why why the band could take over. Did he play any uh, role? Did, did Tim recognize any of the, I, I don't want to say star quality, but it's got to be there. There is a star quality to a lot of the people that you're starting to capture by the time you're taking it to the uh, to Tim Kremen. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, in truth, as I say, you know, it was once a completely different story than it wound up. And he liked the original story. Uh, and so he was along, you know, on the decision-making process as it went from one thing to another, as it evolved, he was he was there the whole way for that. But I have to appreciate a great deal that, that he was there before there were any of these more obvious story hooks. Yeah. The other point in the film 
that seemed to really turn the band is the visit by Ronald Carter. He's sent out by the um, essentially Ellington organization to some of the schools that are participating. They send somebody to every one of the schools that makes it into the competition. That's part of their outreach program. So it was the luck of the draw that they got Ronald Carter then, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he... Uh, that's, Nathan that's and I a were, moment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nathan and I were talking... Yeah, that's really when the band, he really he really gets this band into the right frame of mind. They seem to progress from being a high school band into an Ellington band at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, for audiences, when he's there, audiences who, you know, may not know, you know, a ton about jazz learn right then and there what yeah. it is the kids have to do to be good. Yeah, absolutely. And he does he it in such a... articulates it so perfectly. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, I, li- I do like the language that he uses, and, and, and the kids seem to get it. They seem to understand it. Even, even if they are struggling to sort of do what he wants them to do, they're, they're beginning to see it in a whole other frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And I the think best that... teacher you could possibly have. Yeah. You know, he had him completely me- mesmerized, and they loved what he was teaching them. I don't want to give away the ending of this at all. I just think no. it's, it's too beautiful. But there you are. You're in New York City. When do you start feeling that this project that you're involved in is is really uh, taking flight? Was it when you arrived there? Well, you know, I have to say, when Ron Carter came and spoke, and you see the band transform, really. Before your eyes, uh-huh. I thought that was that was the key moment. But then, you know, once you're in New York, it's like, you know, in movie terms, you've you've gone to Oz for yeah. for jazz, and now we're you know we're in a whole other place that's got a whole you know a whole different amber to it. And the, exactly what was promised that the kids would come into contact with other great players, kids and adults comes to pass. Well, well, Jameson repeatedly um, in, in the cutaways and, and to his band members talks about he had been to the competition a couple of years before and talked, continually talked about how when you will be hearing bands that are all of them are really good. He, he's setting them up, I think, very well to be ex- their, their expectations, what they were going to be walking into when they got there. Another thing you did with this film, and unless somebody thinks it's just about this particular band, the uh, you also focus on a couple of other bands. I was amazed that, it's the Seattle area. Yeah. I, I had no idea that they were so strong in jazz. That out of There's 15 bands that go to essentially Ellington, which are essentially the 15 best jazz high school bands in the country. And right. two, two of them are from Seattle, Roosevelt and Garfield. Mm-hmm. And both of those bands seemed like they were destined to be in the finals. Yes. How did you get that footage? Was that uh, a completely different crew, or did you did you visit with them in Seattle? We did send a crew to Seattle. Uh, it was kind of funny. I um, I had researched the bands that had had done well in the past, and those two schools they're they're in the finals almost every year. Yeah. But when I called Jazz at Lincoln Center, my my main contact there, Erica Floresca, who's in the movie, yeah. um, I asked her. I'm thinking of covering a couple other bands. Are, is there any, are there any that you would suggest? 
And she didn't want to say. Yeah. You know, she, and I said, well, okay, if you're not going to say anything, we're going to head out to Seattle, and I'm going to go to Garfield and Roosevelt. And she said, well, that's a pretty good idea there. <laughs> <laughs> well, with good reason. I, as, as they say in the film, these, they have a history. You, you look at the trophy case. And what I also like about this film uh, is that you see a contrasting style within the leaders, the, 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 the teachers for these bands from Roosevelt and Garfield. They're, they're contrast that with with the Ace Martin. You, you get you get these three different styles, but they all seem to work. They all seem to work well. And also add Ron Carter to the mix there. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Bruce Broder. The film is Chops. It's part of a film festival that IDA, International Documentary Association, is put together in Los Angeles. It starts on August 17th, and you can go to documentary.org to find out more. So your son starts off clean-shaven. <laughs> and and he oh, that's a great up, moment. And he ends up talking to asking a question to Wynton Marsalis, and Marsalis is so impressed with his goatee that he brings him up on stage and has uh, Marsalis and and uh, your son Owen has a picture taken there. Is the goatee ever going to go away? <laughs> well, you know, I once had a goatee, ah. and uh, and my son told me that there could only be one in the family, and his wasn't leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I can't blame him. It's, that, a, it's a great moment in the film. It's, yeah. It seemed uh, it seemed like I'm sure that Owen was uh, probably amazed that he was up on stage with Wynn. Yeah, well, you can see that he's amazed. Yeah, yeah. 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 How how did that go? To did you uh, do the the footage with Wynton Marsalis? You mean the interview or yeah, that particular the, moment? Uh, either way, but especially the interviews. You know, he does a number of interviews during the few days that are essentially Ellington. Uh-huh. It's a chance for the. It's the most high-profile moment for the festival, and so my interview with him was one of, you know, several that he does during that week. Uh, I I don't even think he knew that it was connected to this overall project. That was very peripheral to him, and you know the fact that he called Owen uh, up on stage that. It was a, an amazing coincidence because yeah. he didn't know who that was. <laughs> didn't know that that had anything to do with what we were doing. The other character I really like, out of just as far as watching him progress through the film, it's the trombonist. Uh, TJ. 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 Yeah. TJ. TJ Norris. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. TJ. yeah. Of all the people there, I, I want to say his playing really seemed to jump up a level. Oh yeah. There yeah. were there was that point in in the in, in their uh, competition when they were playing where. Uh, it didn't seem like the same person. It seemed like all of a sudden he had gotten 10 years older and 10 times better. Yeah, he's a great player, and, you know, he's spunky, a spunky kid. You can yeah. see that all the way back to when he was in middle school. He had his run-ins when he first got to high school then. He had yeah. his run-ins with the, uh, yeah. with the band director. Always, you know, great and full of spirit. And, and he, played, he played with such spirit. That's yeah. You know, it was one of the great things about that, his his growth. I love, actually, since you mentioned it, you know, when we first see TJ, there's a uh, piece of footage from from when he's in middle school just playing a, a solo on the trombone. Uh-huh. And then you can see him, how happy he is, how happy he is with his instrument yeah. playing this huge, amazing smile. Yeah. Well, that really comes across. He's playing catch with his uh, football catch with his uh, dad out on the front lawn. And, oh, and his brothers out there. And brothers. And yeah. he just it seems like he's just a great kid. There are a lot of great kids in this film. If you get a chance, I'm urging all of our 
our listenership to to get to L.A. Uh, and check this film out. It's called Chops. Uh, Bruce Brother, thank you so much, and uh, continue success in, in all your future endeavors. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at kuci.org slash filmschool.